Our second message this afternoon is from Mr. Barnabas Grayson. It is entitled, Be Not Deceived. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I throw lozenge up here. I guess that might be for me. I don't know. Looks a little sticky. <laughs> Slightly used. It's all right then. Lawrence was talking about uh, uh, not everyone is here, but uh, I think Lawrence has been attending for, I guess, for about 30 years, 34 years, 35 years. And I can only remember maybe three or four times where he has missed, but, you know, he's always gone to another place. So you can kind of count on him being here. And um, also, I'd like to just say to Ken and to Art that, you know, it's good that we, they're dependable too. They're, <laughs> they're right there to play that music. So it's very much appreciated. Title of the message is Be Not Deceived. In Luke 21, verse 8, it says uh, that to take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, or I am the Christ. This word deceive is planao, and this word means to be caused to roam, or to be caused to go astray, or to be uh, caused to go astray from virtue and from truth. The same is said over in Matthew, and when the disciples asked Jesus, what shall be the sign of your coming? and the end of the age, or the end of the world, or the cosmos, and Christ said the same thing, take heed that no man deceive you. So we see this verse as a very important part of our being a Christian and alert to everything that is out there in the world. This, uh, you know, before he even says that, before all the other signs that the disciples ask, well, what shall be the sign of your coming? Uh, he mentioned the wars and the pestilences, the famines, and uh, earthquakes, things that could take your physical life, but then before that, it's about deception, it's about deceiving, which can also uh, lead to uh, your life being taken. In the book of Thessalonians, again, in verse 3, it says to let no man deceive you. For that day, you know, at the end of the age, shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So we know that this is going to be in the very last days, but in the meantime, uh, uh, he's being held back. And you remember when Paul is saying to these uh, Thessalonians, he said, remember when I told you these things? that this self-exalted false God will be revealed when, you know, God thinks it's time. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity does already work. And this word work is from the Greek, uh, from the, uh, Greek energio, or energio, and it means to be active. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. So Paul is reminding us that this mystery of iniquity does already energio. It all, it's, all, it's active. Now some may think, of course, that we, 
are being deceived. Sometimes they'll look at us and say, well, you, you keep the holy days, you keep the Sabbath, uh, you do this and that, and you're just being deceived. And some may think that we are, you know, that we, since we believe in Jesus and the Son of God, that we should not believe in that because they look at evolution as being uh, the God of science, and, and that's how the world began. But that's just one example. But the question is today, so what can we do to not be deceived? And how can we know that we are walking in the light? In Revelation chapter 12, we see in verse 7 that there was war in heaven. Star Wars. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was there a place found anymore in heaven for them. Like Reggie put it, they were booted out. Verse 9, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. I know these are familiar scriptures to most of you, and we can imagine what the reason for the devil is for wanting to deceive the world. It's because he wants God's creation of man to fail. He wants man to be deceived into corruption or into sin so deeply that even God would have to... Uh, Put him, uh, put him down, or however we're going to put that, put, put down by God himself. So, as, uh, if he can do this, if he can uh, get the world, or get mankind, or any individual to disobey God, then man's, uh, God's creation would have failed. But fortunately, it's not going that direction, because, you know, there are a few, there are some saints, there are a lot of saints, as a matter of fact, and we are part of that that uh, group. There are many kinds of sins and abominations and rebellions and disbelief in God, but now in verse 12 of Revelation there, uh, the second part there, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath. This is great anger. He's angry because he knows that he has but a short time. So we see that he only has an allotment of time in which he will be allowed to do his thing. And since the creation of man and woman, time's been running out. And as believers and members in God's church, the body of Christ, we are warned to not be deceived and to be on our guard. 2 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And here's what Peter says we should do. Verse 8. He said to be sober, to be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about. He's prowling about. He's an active uh, prowler seeking whom he may devour. So we're told that we have an adversary that he's dangerous. We have an enemy, so to speak, said Peter. So be on guard, be alert, be aware. We might ask, well, was Peter serious when he said this? Was uh, he speaking from experience? 
Remember back in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus described that he, to them, that when they went to Jerusalem there, he was going to suffer persecution and be killed? In Matthew 16, when they heard this, it was Peter who took him and began to rebuke him, that is, correct him, saying, Be it far from, the, from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. This shall never happen, no way. But he, that's Christ, he turned and he said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense unto me, for you savor not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So Christ saw, he knew, the source of all rebellion and disbelieving thoughts. And outspoken Peter must have been stunned to hear those words addressed toward him, spoken to him. But then again, he must have realized he spoke contrary to Jesus' words, dismissing him and uh, doubting what he said. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that your faith not fail. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. So Christ knows our weaknesses also, as he knew uh, Simon. And he prayed that his faith would not fail him. So we see faith can fail. We know faith can fluctuate. And there are times when it is weak more than it is strong, and sometimes vice versa. But it can waver. It can waver and fail. Remember when uh, Peter was walking on the water, when he saw Christ walking there on water? He was emboldened to go upon the water and walk upon the water. But then he lost sight of Christ. He lost faith somehow. He began to sink when he saw the uh, waves that overwhelmed his faith. So he began to doubt. Peter, it seems, was a very outspoken a bold and self-confident person. In verse 33, and Peter said unto him, he changes his, uh, his uh, mind here, his attitude. He said, I'm ready to go with you, both into prison and to death. And he, Christ, said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that you shall not three times deny me, deny that you know me. You know, a person can forget during the day that they are of Christ and do unchristian things. And so Peter's warning to us today is to be alert, to be on guard, to be vigilant. And so that's something that, uh, to take seriously. So the deceiver knows our weaknesses. It's found in our human nature. Uh, and we're to watch out for ourselves, to be on guard. So whatever weakness that is in us in our human nature is not taken advantage of. We all have faults. We all have imperfections. There's none perfect. And so we look at some of these things that the Bible reveals to us like a mirror. It could be a tendency toward envy. It could be covetousness. It could be prejudice or bigotry to, to, uh, in some form or fashion. It could be this world's political or social leanings. It could be our intellectual or religious vanity. It could be our tendency to hold a grudge. It could be our self-righteousness. Galatians 5, 
you know, gives us the works of the flesh. And Reg mentioned ego and vanity and pride, which can cause disobedience. So Christ asked Peter, when he began to sink and then he pulled him out and saved him from the waves, he, he said to Peter, wherein did you doubt? Where did you go wrong? So we look to those things to overcome. And God shows us and Christ uh, will pull us out. That's what filled Lucifer. And it made him think too highly of himself. Ego, vanity, pride. Ezekiel 28 and verse 11. It says, moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me. That's Ezekiel. Saying, son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. And say unto him, thus saith the Lord. The Lord God. So we see that this king was likened unto the devil. You seal up the sum of wisdom. Full of wisdom. Perfect in beauty. You know everything. You're smart. You're intelligent. You've been in Eden. The garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and the diamond. The beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire. The emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of uh, your tabrets and of your pipes, that's, you know, the settings and the mountings that those went into, was prepared in you in the day that you were created. You are the anointed cherub that covers, and I have set you so. You were upon the holy mountain of God. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. So there, this lawlessness, not following God's footsteps and our footprints and whatever what else led to it, to that rebellion. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning, how are you cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? Because you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Pride, we can see it at work here. That it's active. Little by little, he got the big head. So pride, of course, is you know, like having an excess, excessively high opinion of oneself, and it can lead to a fall. In Psalm 10, verses 1 through 10, here the psalmist, as he looked around, he saw all the trouble that mankind was suffering. And he said in verse 1, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hide you yourself in times of trouble? And then he goes, his, brings his petition to the Lord, and he goes on to describe what he sees happening in the world. And he says, verse 2, the wicked in his pride does persecute the poor. I'm not going to read every verse thoroughly. In verse 3, for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. In verse 4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. Verse 5, his ways are always grievous. 
Verse 6, he has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. Verse 7, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. He sits, in verse 8, in the lurking places of the village. In verse 9, he lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den to catch the poor. And in verse 10, he crouches and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. So this wickedness that we see in man, that is, we see, can see in the world, is like that of the wicked, the deceiver who is seeking a victim or someone in whom he can devour. You know, like a fisherman, I suppose that uh, one could uh, compare him to being that. Every day he's out there fishing, throwing his lure, his, his uh, hooks, his different size hooks, and he knows how to attract the fish, and he knows what weather to, uh, to go fishing in. He knows the time of the day and where the fish might be, so uh, especially if the fish are hungry, he'll probably catch a lot. So he knows the depth, and he, he's just... He's just a fisherman, and uh, the fish, they go right after the bait. Even though it's a phony bait, they go right after it, or they get caught in the net or hooked. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse beginning 3, we see that the apostle warned that the time will come when they, and you know who is they, those are the followers of Christ, will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heed to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So it's in nature. People, you know, hear what they want to hear. Truth to them is what they want to believe. And politicians, of course, know that and, and they exploit that. And when that's put another way, as in the... Uh, uh, New International Version, in verse 3, it says, A time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You know, this scholar says this, or that scholar says that, and they will turn their ears away from the truth. And then again, you ask, well, what is truth? I was asked last uh, Sabbath, you know, thy word is truth. That's what truth is. Thy word is truth. But myths, they're false beliefs that it, that's dressed up in tales and stories to look like the truth. And, and many are hooked because it's the stuff they like to hear, they like to see. And to deceive... Deception involves imposing a false idea or a belief that often leads to, you know, confusion. It leads to bewilderment and things of that sort. Sometimes it seems you have to have a scholar or this mountain of books or uh, maybe a doctrine of divinity or a master in apologetics to, or a philosopher to help answer your questions of, you know, what is truth. But what does the Bible say about those who are called? It says that not many wise, not many wise men are called. But then it says, but the Holy Spirit, it will lead you. It will guide you into truth. And that spirit is given upon repentance and baptism through the laying on of hands. And Christ 
set that example. He said one is to be baptized, and we know that he was baptized by the Apostle John. And then he says, commissioning his disciples to teach them whatsoever I, he had commanded them, and to be baptized in the name, that is, in honor of, or by the authority of, or in the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see from Scripture that there is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof is death. So one has to be careful. One has to make sure that uh, he or she is not being deceived. God is not the author of confusion. We know that. Yet, with all the various denominations, not everyone is on the same page. Not everyone is on the same page because beliefs and the doctrines uh, vary. And the Apostle Paul then asks, well, is Christ divided? You know, newspapers used to advertise in their Sunday papers, sometimes their Saturday papers. I remember seeing this a lot. Uh, Attend the church of your choice. You know, just go to church and uh, go where you uh, are comfortable. And that's okay because we all cherish our freedom of religion. We cherish that choice. But we do have to find out where the truth is and that by looking at Scripture. You know, prospectors, uh, we like to watch this show called Prospectors. And they're up in these high mountains and they really are rugged individuals who really put forth a lot of effort to dig around in the dirt. They recognize the dirt, they recognize the rocks, knowing that a certain gem will be found among them. And so uh, they come across these gems. They may be small, but, you know, that's what they're looking for. And uh, they find the jewel they've been looking for. That pearl of great worth and with pride they hang onto it. Even though there are natural pearls, there are uh, cultured pearls, there are zircons, there are diamonds, or it could be fool's gold. You know, rocks that look like gold, but it has that uh, pyrite, that shiny yellowish material in it. And there can be counterfeit money. You have to know, you have to not be deceived by uh, looking at something and thinking it is of value. So one must be able to tell the difference because some of these differences are very subtle. But you can be deceived by the wrong thing. In Genesis 3, verse 1, it says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, than any creature of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yeah, has God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So the question was kind of overall, can ye eat of all these trees that are here? And of course, Eve said, No, not every one. There's one we can't eat of. We can't partake of it. And the serpent said unto the woman, uh, and as she, as she told the serpent, that if we touch it, we could die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. You shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Eve was, you know, intelligent. She was smart. And, you know, God must have created her uh, perfectly in mind and in body. But there she was walking in the garden and 
thinking perhaps about that particular tree, wondering about it, when Satan saw, here's a chance that I might be able to deceive her. And he did. The serpent must have read her mind. You won't surely die, the serpent said. Instead, you'll be like gods. You'll know good and evil. Think of the knowledge that can be gained if you just partake of that fruit. Disobey, in essence. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did, he did eat. So came, uh, Satan came in masquerade, pretending wisdom. And he was slick, he was questioning, and he deceived Eve. In verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. So we see that our first parents were allowed for their minds to be open. They allowed their minds to be open. And their disobedience made them receptive to whatever else the devil had in mind. He began to corrupt their thinking, giving them thoughts that made them feel ashamed and embarrassed at their own uh, bodies in such a way that they covered themselves with broad leaves from the, you know, the garden. Before, they, you know, they thought nothing of being naked. And when, when God asked them, well, uh, why, are you, why are you hiding? And you can imagine the voices coming out from behind the shrubs and the bush. And they say, because we're naked. And he, then he says, and then he asks, well, who told you that? And he says, the serpent. He beguiled us. So he knew, they knew that they were beguiled, that they were deceived. They were deceived into disobeying their creator. Unless they now partake of the tree of life, God banned them from the garden. You wonder sometimes, had they at that time resisted the temptation, that they might have right to the tree of life. Instead, we see sin and death entered into the world. The tree they partook, partook of symbolized the serpent's knowledge of good and evil. He knew good and evil. He was good and perfect until iniquity was found in him. Like I said earlier, there are those who perhaps may think we are deceived, that this church is deceived, and that maybe someday our eyes will be open to the real truth as they perceive it to be, and maybe do, try to do away with the holy days or the Sabbath or the commandments. Now, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, he expressed this concern about the continuing deception and subtlety of Satan. And he had this to say in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 11, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So that was the mission of the Apostle Paul. I promised you to one husband, Jesus Christ, and to be pure of you know, any extramarital uh, immorality, as in believing in other gods or, uh, or worshiping other gods. Verse 3, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity in, that is in Christ. The simplicity, that, that 
meaning that uh, they be led away from their devotion and from their sincerity toward Christ. Subtlety is defined as so delicate and precise as to be difficult to analyze or describe and so delicately complex and understated, making use of clever and indirect methods to achieve something makes an idea hard to arrest. How many of you could write down that definition as it said? But anyway, there are like little tidbits of reason, little tidbits of truth that uh, just beneath the surface that's there, you just have to draw it out by all this analysis and complexity. And so any new idea can become a complicated thing. Well, you take this Bible word and it means this, and then that word becomes this when used with that phrase over there, and then that phrase, which is then connected to one over in that place, but isn't the same thing. And then you go to your history books, and what this or that scholar says, and you do all that, it could be bewildering. It could be confusing. It could be a road to self-deception. For sure, we do have to prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. But what the deceiver wants to do is to lead one astray. To uh, astray from what? That is, as we read earlier, our sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. Jesus Christ, uh, as it said in verse 3. Now Paul continues in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4, if he that comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might well bear it with him. You know, the Corinthians were easily persuaded. This is what they did, being in a great city where people came and went with different ideas and philosophies that were, that were just banded about. And whenever they heard, heard something interesting, their minds were open to it. They entertained it. So it seemed to be no surprise to Paul that uh, the brethren there were prone to that sort of thing. And so we have to be on guard. We have to be sober. We have to be diligent, lest the deceiver finds a way to change thinking our thinking in what in the traditions and what we've been taught. But who among us does not have some kind of, of, of egocentric interest that can involve us in something else? You know, today's internet offers ample proof that there are other ideas out there, and it reminds us of what Christ said, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. But be not deceived, as we uh, read in Luke. 2 Corinthians 11, down to verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is trans transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Now, the Apostle Paul became hated by the Jews because he had betrayed their teachings and their traditions, for he began to teach and preach about Jesus, whom they had killed. Before that, Paul was on their side, raising the, in their religion, and he had it against the teachings of Christ. In Acts, the ninth chapter, we see how Paul was involved in trying to eradicate 
the new Christian faith. Verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that, he, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. So he wanted some authorization to go out and arrest these. So Paul had every, uh, very, he was very intent on ridding the land of this growing threat to the power of the religion of his day. And in verse 3, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord, this word kurios, from the word kuros, meaning supremacy, the one in supreme authority, said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. So by persecuting the Christians, Christ was telling him, he was also persecuting Christ himself. Drop on down to verse 9. But he was, after that event, he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. But there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him uh, said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Now this was the voice of Jesus, you know, the one who called Ananias. And the Lord said unto him, verse 11, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire the house, in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prays. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. So Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he had authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on her name. So Ananias was, you know, a little reluctant to uh, receive him, fearing what, you know, what may come of it. But the Lord said unto him, Go your way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Paul's eyes were open physically. They were open spiritually. And he began to see the light that was in Christ Jesus. And he arose and was baptized. And what was that message that Paul set out to confirm to those in the religion of that world? Verse 20. And straightway, went right away, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So, who is this Christ, this Jesus, who is the Son of God? Hebrews 1, in verse 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto, uh, unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. You remember in John 1, uh, I, think I've, I think that's on the... Scripture back there, John 1, verse 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in the beginning he was with God, and in him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. Drop down to verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us, full of grace and glory. So this is speaking of Jesus, the word, the logos, who was life and the light of men at the beginning of the world. The God of the Old Testament who spake to the prophets and through him the word of God was delivered. He was a logos or spokesman or uh, the prophets of old heard, heard, the one who acted on behalf of the Father. So both were together involved in creation when they created also the human family. He made them male and female and they became one flesh. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You see what uh, Jesus did for us. Purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on on high. Back to Acts uh, chapter 9 concerning Paul and his preaching in verse 21. But all that heard him, it's Paul, they were amazed. And they said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came here for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased more in strength, and he confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. You remember in Mark chapter 14, verse 61, where the high priest had asked Jesus, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And that's when the high priest, you read along, ripped his garments and said, you have heard the blasphemy. And what think you? We don't need any more evidence. He spoke in blasphemy and they all condemned him to be guilty of death. Why? Because Christ equated himself with God saying he was his son and would sit beside him with power when he came. In Matthew chapter 12, 6, I didn't uh, put this down to be... Uh, just too many scriptures, but uh, I'm just going to read a few things from Matthew 12, 6, where Christ said that he was greater than the temple. And that in verse 2 of Matthew, uh, verse 8, uh, Matthew 12, he said he's Lord of the Sabbath. In Matthew 7, 21, he says he's going to judge the wicked. And Mark chapter 2, he says he has power to forgive sins. In Matthew 8, 2, there was this leper that came to him and he, this leper worshipped him seeking to be healed. In Matthew 9, verse 18, a certain ruler uh, whose daughter was, had died uh, came and uh, worshipped him and asked that his daughter be restored to life. In, verse, in chapter 14, and when uh, Peter, you know, was safely in the boat after he had sank, drying off and everything, and everybody witnessing that event. It says in, verse, in Matthew 14, verse 33, 
that they that were in the ship came and worshipped him. So all of these things was enough for them to want to convict Christ of, of blasphemy. John chapter 5, we see when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, which was contrary to uh, the Sabbath day restrictions, uh, the Jews sought more to kill him. Because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For what things soever he does, these also does the Son likewise. So they are both alike in, in characteristics and, and power and in unity. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that, him, that himself doeth, and he shall show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raised up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son. And then we can ask, well, why? And then we see verse 23, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son, honors, honors not the Father, which has sent him. Verily I say unto you, verse 24, he that hears my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into con condemnation. Verse 25, verily I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself. So here was Paul preaching these uh, very hard and deep things about Christ. And so he was added to the hit list. Acts chapter 9 again. Uh, let's, let's go over to Acts chapter 4. In connection to the healing of the lame man, the religious authorities, they commanded Peter to tell him, to tell them by what power or by what name how he had done this. So Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. Verse 11, this is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. And so we see then this statement Peter makes, neither is there any uh, salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given up among men whereby we must be saved. So they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So we see, of course, that these men you know, were fishermen and Christ said, I will make you fishermen uh, of men. And they had no, no letters or diplomas. And as we re read earlier, uh, Peter said to be sober, to be vigilant, to be aware that we have an adversary who stalks us and wants to deceive us.
Christ said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Ephesians chapter 1 that says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has pleased us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And we drop on down to verse 20. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. John chapter 14, verse uh, 8, Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long a time with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how say you then, Show us the Father? Believe you not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he does the works. Believe me that I am the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Now you look at John 20, verse 27. Remember Thomas? He was not going to believe what the disciples had told him. They had said, had seen Christ, that he was risen. He said, I'm not going to believe it until I see the, the hole in his hand, the, the, the piercing in his side. He's not going to believe. And as then Christ appeared in the room. And he said to Thomas in verse 27, Reach here your finger. Behold my hands and, and reach here your hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered, and what did he say? He said, my Lord and my God. So Christ did not turn away Thomas. After all, Jesus was, you know, immortal again, back into the glory that he divested of himself as a son, uh, to be the Son of Man made flesh. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs uh, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in, the book, in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. John 14, uh, John, 1 John 5, in verse 11 this is the record that God has given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Verse 12, he that has a son has life, and he that hath not the son has not life. So Christ covers our sin. You know, it's sin that brings on the penalty of death, but Christ in his sacrifice paid it for us. His sacrifice should have a personal meaning for each and every one of us. He knows our weakness, and he is active as our high priest. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility 
Consider others better than yourselves. But you know, as it says, that we must put on the armor of God so that we might be able to quench the fiery darts of the deceiver. Second Thessalonians, verse 16. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. As we read this and remember from the start of this message, the thing is to let us be reminded to be not deceived and to remember Peter's words where he said, be sober and be vigilant and be not deceived. 